Trumpet Thumpers Podcast, episode 360. Welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to help support and inspire new trauma workers through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. Thanks so much for joining me today, and here we go. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Very excited today to have my guest, Maddie Caballo. Maddie, welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So Maddie is a sought-after international speaker, educator, coach, and equine facilitator who shares her experience of extreme abuse to enlighten, educate, and encourage others. At the age of 20, Maddie was standing at the crossroads of continuing the pattern of intergenerational abuse she'd experienced or trying to escape the community that had controlled her since birth and leave with very few skills to survive in a world outside of her control. Now Maddie shares her experience with first responders, lawyers, medical providers, therapists, and other, and other professionals of what are the most effective and respectful ways to work with someone with complex trauma, dissociation, and PTSD. All right, Maddie, welcome. Um, obviously, just a bit about you, but share with our listeners where you're calling from and where you're from originally, and then let's uh, let's do it. All right. So I'm calling from the Phoenix, Arizona area, and I'm originally from Illinois, so the Midwest. Okay. And I relocated to Arizona in 2010, so awesome. I'm enjoying the nice weather here now. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to uh, kind of get into your story. Um, but first, let's start out uh, with a quote, a uh, mantra, a sentence, something uh, to kind of set the context here. What do you have for us? All right. So I was thinking about, you know, which quotes kind of been the most impactful. And I, I have quite a few that I uh, kind of live by in my daily life. But there's one in particular that I, is kind of my go-to. And it's by Benjamin Me um, from the movie We Bought a Zoo. And the quote is, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. Mm. And but Benjamin Me, how do you spell that last name? M-E-E. M-E-E, awesome. So why why that quote? So, you know, I was introduced to that quote shortly after I started working with the therapist I'm currently working with, and she said that to me at a moment when I was really struggling to, to put words to my experience. And, you, you know, when I really started thinking about it, you know, if I could just stop thinking so far out and just take you know, the courage in that moment to say that one thing, Mm -hmm. it helped me to be able to kind of propel myself and keep propelling myself forward. It's, I think for me, when I looked at everything, it was too big of a picture. And so breaking everything down into just 20 second increments and taking that 20 seconds and the next 20 seconds, the next 20 seconds has really helped me grow. Yeah. Say say that quote again, if you don't mind. Sure. It's, uh, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. All right. So let's kind of get into this. What, I mean, what, tell the listeners here the story. Why are we talking uh, today? What led you to this place? So, you know, really my, my past, my 20 years of growing up and, um, 
there's all kinds of different words that people use for it, but it's in extreme torture and uh, ritual abuse. Some people call it intergenerational abuse. There's all kinds of different things. But but what it was is a, a lack of being able to have any kind of control or safety in my environment. And um, I got to a place where, you know, I, I got myself out of that situation, but then it was still very hard and difficult for me to learn how to cope in the outside world. But I've been doing a lot of work towards healing, and um, I got to a place where, you know, I had this uh, I, thing in my mind that was going to happen if I kept working in my healing journey enough, and it was that it wasn't going to be a part of me. I was going to be able to work hard enough to make it not be a part of who I am. And when I realized that I that wasn't going to happen, it really was more about accepting that mm-hmm. these things happened to me and they were all a part of my story. I got really sad and I was really mm-hmm. upset and I didn't really quite know what to do with that. And so um, it took me a little while to realize that, um, you know, what I can do is share my experience and help educate other people and help them better understand it from the perspective of somebody who's been there. Um, because what I ran into, I guess, in just my own journey and trying to, to seek out assistance and help is a lot of misunderstanding and how to help me and how to talk mm-hmm. with me and how to approach me. And uh, it's just I can offer something that, like, just isn't available through um, classroom training or textbooks that practitioners use to, to learn about it. So, I mean, if we, we were to kind of dial in a little bit, and I'm, I'm not asking you to share your story, whatever you feel comfortable with uh, throughout, but when you, what was it like when you said to yourself, you know, I need to start healing or I need something needs to shift for me. What just can you talk a little bit about that that process for you? Yeah, there you know I would say there's probably was different points um along the way of what that looked like. So, you know, the first first step was for me to get out of the situation where I wasn't continually being abused. So I started therapy at uh, around 17 and a half um just circumstances kind of lent themselves where um, I was able to to get there, mm-hmm. and uh, but I wasn't out of the situation yet. So it took you know a lot about two and a half years before I trusted that I would survive leaving the the situation and not you know not not be killed as a, a result of not obeying them. Mm-hmm. And so then you know I just kind of was in a place of just learning how to be in a world where I had choices and decisions to make and those kinds of things. Um, And then I had about 10 years where I went out and I, you know, was um, living life the way that I thought that I could, which was basically just doing the opposite of the way I was raised because I figured that was a good practice Mm -hmm. and a good way to be because I knew that what they did wasn't right, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it wasn't still fully living. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks who have been abused extensively uh, end up being a target for future abuse, and I was no different. And I, um, at 33, I was uh, sexually assaulted at knife point at work uh, oh early one morning. And it started, you know, a whole roller coaster of things coming back up for me. And so I realized that that was, you know, the next point I would say that I really kind of started saying, okay, what's next? How do I heal? What do I do? 
And so I worked for several years, but that was more just restabilizing myself until mm-hmm. I made it to Arizona. And I, I met a practitioner who combined equine with um, trauma work. And in that, I started, that's when I really, what I would call, started coming alive with my healing <laughs> and mm-hmm. started really having feelings that I didn't know there was anything really other than happy or sad. And so that was the point where I kind of realized that like there's so much more that I didn't even know that existed or could be. Um, It just wasn't within the realm of what I I knew how to experience until the last seven years. And that's kind of been what I've been working at. When you, you, prior to that, when you were start, were seeing therapists of, uh, or therapists, what, what was there a lot that wasn't working for you? What did, what did that look like for you? There was a lot of things that, that weren't working and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, and that's true for me as a client, as well as for the therapist. And I would say, you know, the biggest thing that happened was that they continued to kind of let me live in the cycle of my abuse. So, um, uh, listeners may not realize, but with with the type of abuse that I experienced, there's a certain calendar that the people that that people follow that do that sort of thing. And so there's there's dates that always triggered me. And as those dates came around, like it was always about restabilization, and it was mm. never really growing past that. It was just kind of living, and my body would live on that cycle. So I would literally feel the past as though it was happening in the present on those dates and those moments. And so it was, you know, they didn't know how to help me kind of break that cycle. And um, so that was probably like the earliest thing that was the most difficult and probably wanting to know too much about the scenario too soon, Mm -hmm, asking mm -hmm. me lots and lots of questions about the details of what happened. And um, I had huge trust issues, which a lot of people who have are highly traumatized do. And so, you know, getting into too much detail too soon with me was uh, would scare me off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and not not want me to kind of persist or even it kind of built distrust in my mind is like, okay, like, are they trying to form a case against me? Are they trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. I had all kinds of scenarios that went through my head. You know, and probably the other thing I would think is that they had, um, you know, a lot of times like with um, therapy, there's, I mean, there's different types, but um, there's some sort of activities or task or an agenda created for the session. Mm-hmm. And um, being highly dissociative, I had so much stuff going on inside of me. Um, so many parts that were all trying to communicate with me and tell me things and just so much internally going on that when externally I was being there was being a lot asked of me as well. Mm-hmm. It made it very confusing and difficult to do it. So, um, you know, that's that's another thing that, you know, as as people are learning how to work with highly traumatized people, like really slowing down, even if it seems extremely slow, is like right. incredibly helpful. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate you sharing that. So, you, you talked about, uh, you know, finally finding this therapist who seemed to uh, certainly be more educated, more trauma-informed. What did that look like for you? How, how, how was that different? Having somebody that was more trauma-informed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or more educated and about trauma, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it was hugely significant and uh, in just that she knew the things that were going to like 
trigger me too far and helping me like learn to stay within my window of tolerance. And none of those were words I would have known mm-hmm. <laughs> when I first started working with her, but she knew those things to help me because as a client, I, you know, I, it's, I was just all over the place. I wasn't showing up on her doorstep because I had it all together and knew how to manage myself. I was showing up because I needed help and guidance and being able to learn how to manage what had happened to me. And you, so, can I just interrupt for a second, Maddie? So when you went to see these different therapists, did you go because of what was going on with you or did you go under the auspices of, you know, I'm, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I don't know what's going on? You know, were you explicit about what was going on with you? Oh, gosh. You know, in the early days, it was mostly like mandated by courts or something like that, like when I was really young. But after the incident happened at work and it was my choice, I really literally my goal was to not even get into what had happened to me in the past, but to Mm -hmm. literally just deal with what happened to me at work because Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to to go to work and I wasn't able to work inside my office even when I was at work. And so it was just, I was dysfunctional and not able to, to cope and be able to do the things I needed to do to take care of my daughters and myself. And, um, so that's what took me to therapy, back to therapy after so long. Um, and I've been back in therapy since then. So for the last 15 years going two to three times a week, um, and eventually at some point I started disclosing a little bit in pieces of, my past history um, mm-hmm. because my life was just becoming so unmanageable and I was starting to self-harm a lot and I ended up hospitalized and all kinds of different things. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, so as it kind of kept unraveling, there wasn't, I, I realized I didn't really have a choice, but to kind of open that door back up and, and deal with what had happened to me mm-hmm. as a child. So you mentioned children. Where, did you get married and have kids? How did, how did that come about? I did. So, yeah, yeah, after, um, you know, I left uh, the situation I was in, I I graduated from college. And um, my goal is I just wanted, you know, I wanted to create that life, that family, that kind of story, but kind of, I think, ideal Mm -hmm. uh, life for myself. And I thought that that was like the next right thing to do. So I did uh, get married and I had two beautiful daughters and and raised them. So... How does how do things unfold such that you're like I've got to put something together to help other people? What what did that look like for you? Share with us that uh, that story, if you will, Maddie. I will. Um, so yeah, I said a little bit of it earlier, but I was sitting in a session uh, one afternoon with my therapist, and you know she had heard me tell the story, and I came to her with this very uh, structured, built out idea about what it was going to look like for me to heal. And what it looked like for me was that, um, you know, I imagined like all the different parts within myself being uh, butterflies. And whenever they were felt heard and they felt healed enough, they were, I was going to send them out into the world. And But they weren't going to be a part of me. I was going to kind of do this whole butterfly release kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I really like, I mean, I wholeheartedly kind of lived that, like, and that was what kind of kept propelling me to come into therapy every time and every, every you know, every session and work really hard at it and um, do all the things I knew I thought I needed to do to, to get to heal. And uh, so she kind of kept giving me, like, probably a lot of suggestions along the way, but one day it kind of hit me. I had an aha moment. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what she's saying is that, like, these parts are part of me and this is part of my story and 
I need to accept that this happened to me and I'm not going to be able to just get rid of it Mm. (laughs) by sending out these butterflies into the world. And so, you know, I cried a lot (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Because then it became, you know, it felt like a life sentence. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with all that. And I just felt really devastated. I think in that moment when I really realized that that is where that was my, you know, my fate was. And so I, you know, I sat down, I'm like, okay, then I've got to, there's got to be something positive that I can do with a situation that was awful. And so that's how I kind of came to the idea of like, okay, I've had a lot of difficulty with, you know, finding people who really understood me. There was, you know, people who not with intention, but probably did more harm than good uh, by not understanding trauma. And I had been in education for um, a very long time, so over 20 years. And I was like, okay, I could combine my experience in education with, with my story and go out and help educate people so that those after me um, might have a, an improved experience when, they, um, when they're trying to be helped. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where does the equine aspect come into play? <laughs> that was a happen? huge turning point for me. Um, so the the therapist that I started working with in Arizona, um, that and that's really kind of I I was you know scrolling trying to find people Google Google searching and things like that, and she came up uh, as a th- trauma therapist, but she did equine therapy as well, and I was like, wow, I haven't tried that. And, you know, I went to a workshop she was having, and it was pretty much after that, I was just, I had never felt myself want to connect with something more mm-hmm. than, than that horse. And, uh, and that was saying a lot because I, I, you know, I just didn't let myself really care about things or connect with people were very terrifying for me because they had hurt me the most. And so, you know, but I felt something that wanted to keep I kept feeling drawn back to um, the equine and I started asking her if I could work with her individually doing equine sessions and it became a, a, a huge part of our work and really we didn't actually even step into anything new without being with the horses beside us because I needed that to be able to kind of keep one foot in the present mm-hmm. um, while working on the past. And so, um, and the, the horses helped me be able to do that. I mean, they're, they're very intuitive animals. They're, um, they're prey animals. So they are very, they very much pick up on energy and they demand you to be congruent um, in order to stay with you. Otherwise they don't feel safe and they leave. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of give you immediate feedback as far as immediate feedback from my therapist, the how dissociated I was in that moment. Um, and so it, it, it has been a huge part of my, uh, my work, my healing work. And then one thing led to another and I, uh, you know, adopted horses of my own and, and have a little farm with horses on it now. Well, I mean, there's so many aspects that that, that I want to kind of follow up here. But for those of us who don't really know and aren't that familiar, what what, what does it mean to, to work with uh, an equine therapist or in that context? I mean, what specifically are you doing with the horse? What, what do things look like? When I work with my therapist, is that what you're asking? Or, or, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, um, I have a really unique therapist who is, you know, she's a licensed practitioner um, and highly trained in trauma. 
and also does EMDR and she is equine um, experienced as well. So she, I can work with her like individually. Sometimes people have to have more than one person there to accommodate all those <laughs> skill sets, but she actually has that. And so a lot of times it, it doesn't look like much actually. I mean, it's, um, you know, I talked earlier about the importance of really slowing everything way down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what it looked like is just kind of the two of us sitting and talking. But what happens is that the the horses just kind of know when to come in because they pick up on that mm-hmm. energy. And they come in kind of hold space and support and offer messages. Like you can see outwardly, like them releasing at the same time, like, I let something go hmm. and, um, you know, and it, it was very empowering, especially in the early days of me doing the equine work to have this, at first I couldn't ask a horse to move back or ask like a horse to back up off of me. I find mm-hmm. it really easy now, but that's because like, I know how to energetically have that within me, which is a huge skill set to have like in the world in general so that you don't have people run over you and you're I learned how to mm-hmm. set boundaries with the horses and um, ask for things that I needed either ask my therapist to help me if I didn't know how to do something whereas I wouldn't do that when I first started working with them um, so there's so many aspects of of the work that I was able to to really move forward and and I had that like want to with the horses as opposed to and it kind of broke up like what I was doing as opposed to just sitting in my therapist's office like, okay, this is the next date that's coming up. I'm feeling like really nervous and scared and talking about that and talking about like what happened in the past. It like kind of right. offered, you know, some a different environment. It was outdoors. It was in nature. I didn't feel trapped or closed in. And so, yeah, it just, it for me, it definitely provided... Uh, an avenue to, I think, opening up uh, my ability to be able to to be more present in the world. So when you work with uh, individuals now, you know, in the bio, I, I, I mentioned that you work with first, res- first responders, lawyers, medical providers, therapists, and et cetera. What are you specifically trying to deliver? What's what's your message? What's your hope with in, in helping people or how uh you know what do you want them to 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 know to hear to learn you know i think specifically i mean there's so many things i could share but like i think specifically what i want is that all of those professions they have really hard jobs in front of them and i think i want to help them make it easier because i'm sure that when you're working or you encounter somebody who's highly traumatized and even for myself when I you know if you would have met me when I was 18 I would have sounded probably like I was like about six years old I probably would have made eye contact with you I would have waited for somebody else to give me permission to talk and most people in these professions just don't understand that um, I wasn't trying to be defiant. I wasn't trying to make their jobs difficult. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I just didn't have the skill set to do anything different in that moment than what I where I was at. And so what I want to do is just help provide them with some really simple tips that will um, Im- 
you know, improve the time that it takes for them to get their job that they're there to do. So, you know, if they're a first responder there and there's a medical emergency, there's a, a few simple things that they can do to uh, shorten that amount of time and, and allow that person to be more cooperative with them than if they just go in like they would normally go in with, um, with the situation. So in terms of um, working with working with other people who do you work with other people who've been uh, traumatized and not just uh, professionals or th- uh, uh, professionals obviously can be traumatized but I'm see but uh, but are you do you work with you know clients also who've been impacted by trauma I do a little bit um, okay. I Generally, that's not the population that I I work with because, you know, I want to be really careful to kind of make sure I'm not a licensed therapist and I want to just make sure that I'm not like, um, you know, having them come to me for therapeutic work. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. So in terms of, I mean, if we've kind of dialed, folded back here to, you know, that instance with the first responder, I mean, get, get specific. What are some of the things that they should know? I mean, this is really helpful for, for, for the listeners here. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, like before you approach, like uh, when you if you're sensing from the individual or you happen to know that uh, that that person was through or is coming out of a traumatic situation, like, um, you know, for instance, if if you know that the, a child's just, you know, been abused and they're there now and they're needing medical care, um I would say just slow down and try and even, you know, even if there's an emergency situation, you can take a few more seconds, talk to the person, ask Mm -hmm. permission (laughs) um, before you just kind of start grabbing limbs or Mm -hmm. putting bandages on and all those kinds of things. Um, Let them know who you are and what you're there to do and ask them if it's okay. And they're more than likely going to say it's okay, but Mm -hmm. just that little you know, that yeah. slight step of asking permission before because they're so used to having things just done to them and it causes them to want to fight back right, right. <laughs> and or resist or um, get younger or go within themselves. Um, and if you don't take that those few minutes to kind of build some trust, um, just slowing everything way, way, way down and um, – Letting you know them come to the idea about what they want to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think idea. those are those are beautiful. I mean, they're they're seemingly simple, but uh, they're not necessarily easy. And yet, they're so. I think they're so uh, profound in in the impact, positive impact they can have. Right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I so appreciate that. So, man. I mean, you're, obviously your story is intense and it's just to hear you talk about getting, you know, being in a spot now where, where you want to help. I mean, that to me is, is so inspiring. Um, what are some of the, if I, if I may, what are some of the challenges that, that you've come across in, in doing this work for yourself? Uh, you know, the biggest challenge is being, it's finding people who are, are trained and that can really be helpful beyond mm-hmm. a point of just being a nice person. Uh, and because, and also just picking up the phone and having to call multiple different people to try and get the resources that I need. Um, that's been hard. 
for sure. And having the medical profession genuinely not understand um, what they're seeing um, and making assumptions about, you know, things that they see on my body that, um, that they don't understand and either they ignore it and won't even ask a question about it because they don't want to know mm-hmm. or they make an assumption that, you know, especially when I was still kind of in the situation and, and trying to get out, um, making assumptions that it was me self-harming myself as opposed to it was that I was harmed and um, just not having compassion, I guess, for, I think, it, you know, it comes back to it's very difficult for people to know that these kinds of things happen and it to protect themselves, I think it's easier to, to not believe it. Yeah. I mean that, you know, this, this topic of, I mean, you, you used uh, several terms for one, I think one of which was ritual abuse and there are people out there um, who write they're deniers. There are people who don't believe this stuff takes place. I was just interviewing uh, someone else who's done a lot of research into this field and, you know, he said, you know, I don't have that. Un- he said, unfortunately, I don't have that liberty not to believe. Um, but, you know, what you're saying here is that you, you're in- you've encountered a lot of people who, what, just don't want to believe. I mean, this is this stuff is is horror. Hor- it's horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, my God, how do we as it, you know, it's so. Uh, just awful. I mean, what do you say to to therapists who need and will at probably at some point be encountering people? What 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 do you want them to hear? Well, I I think that you know they need to to know that that it's okay for them to make mistakes. You know, the biggest thing is that, you know, when I've talked to people before, they think they have to get everything perfect mm-hmm. with it. And that's not what a client's expecting. Uh, you know, they, you don't need to be their savior. Um, you know, it's more beneficial for them to uh, have you be a partner with them in healing um, rather than to save them. Because it's not, I mean, most people have aged out of the ability to be able to have that parent-child kind of relationship. And so uh, coming in and being that isn't really what they need because they need to learn to grow and develop and be able to do things on their own. Um, you know, be be willing to let go of being right and just be with the client. Like they probably, mm-hmm. practitioners have ideas about, you know, how they've been taught and this is their belief system or, or this is what's going to work and this is what I do with all of my clients. Well, that that may not work with <laughs> this client, you know, and so being willing to keep learning and uh, adapt with what your client needs. Um, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things that I've seen practitioners not be able to do because they get very set and, and comfortable probably, you know, and I, I'm in education and we all get comfortable with like what we feel right. we know how to do. <laughs> right. But when you're working with somebody who has dissociation and high levels of trauma, um, it's going to change too based on the day. So, you know, you may have a plan and that plan may need to get abandoned based on what's showing up in that moment. And it might happen more often with highly traumatized people than it does with people who have less less trauma going on in their life. 
Um, And I would say do their own work. Uh, You know, none of us really get unscathed in this world without being touched by trauma. And, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, your, you know, your client stuff is going to bump into your stuff and vice versa. And um, be, be okay with being able to have your own support system outside of your client. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to remind everyone that I'm speaking with uh, Maddie Caballo. Her website is Maddie Caballo. That's M A D D I E C A B A L L O dot com. I'll have this uh, up at the show notes page at the traumatherapistpodcast dot com. Maddie, how about a uh, go to book recommendation? All right. So uh, one of the books that's really impacted me is The Last Lecture by Randy Posh. Mm. He published it in 2008. It's probably one most everybody knows, but it really stuck with me as I read and listened to it many, many times because uh, it was my first kind of aha moment that you can still do and be something great and awesome, even if you're dealt an unfair deck. I mean, he never gave up. His speech he gave was, you know, he was tenacious, um, even in his struggle with illness. And he made a big difference in just that one speech. And for me, like it reminds me that I can make a big difference too. The last lecture that's by Randy Posh. And just um, as we kind of wrap up here, share with, share with our listeners um, about your website, about what you do, who, who's your kind of ideal client in a sense. Sure. Um, so my, uh, Website is just www.bettycaballo.com, and you can find information there on different speaking topics that I go around and share. My ideal, you know, um, presentations I would do in front of clinicians, um, practitioners of all different sorts, medical professionals, uh, lawyers, attorneys, first responders, anybody who actually is in a helping profession that's more than likely uh, going to come into contact with people who have are highly traumatized and just help them be able to do their job a little bit easier. Awesome. Maddie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I mean, I think we're all lucky there are people out there like you who are, are doing this work. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye. CPTSDfoundation.org provides daily recovery support, live group calls, 365 days a year. All calls are led by trauma-informed advocates, authors, and highly respected practitioners in the field of trauma recovery. CPTSDfoundation.org helps survivors connect with others who've walked through the fire of abuse and are on a path toward healing. After working with thousands of survivors all around the world, they know how to help you escape the shame of abuse by connecting with like-minded individuals so you can finally feel like healing is possible. Stop isolating between therapy appointments. Getting re-traumatized with your current strategy is no longer necessary. Reach out to CPTSD Foundation today and discover the life-changing, daily, trauma-informed peer support you've been waiting for. That's cptsdfoundation.org. You know how deeply trauma impacts your client's mind, body, and emotions, and how difficult healing can be. You have clients who are constantly and unpredictably triggered by their traumatic experiences, controlled by emotions of shame, anxiety, anger, depression, and fear, and even turning to substance abuse, cutting, and other harmful behaviors to cope. 
World-renowned expert and author, Dr. Janina Fisher's proven approach to complex trauma treatment, which is based on 40-plus years of research and clinical practice, addresses the holistic impact of trauma to effectively heal deep trauma and attachment wounds so clients can break free from the past, feel safe, calm, and thrive in life. If you're ready to become a certified complex trauma treatment professional and master neurobiologically informed treatments that will heal trauma, save marriages and families, and help clients take back their lives, then join my friends over at PESI and save $500 today by signing up at www.pessy.com forward slash trauma treatment. That's www.pessy spelled P-E-S-I dot com slash trauma treatment. 